Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? Well, good morrow, Sir Alan of the Roundtable. Prithee, what cheer? Um, um, you ready for this podcast? <laughs> I, I think so. Somebody's already been drinking the mead today, though. I can already tell that. Me, Don Yon Smith, Yasme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enough of that stuff. That'll make yeah, your eyelids flap like a window shade. <laughs> there you go. Well, everybody, today we're here to do season two, episode 23, The Master Plan. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, tell you what, Mark, this is the second to last episode of season two. It's, it's, I'm, I can't believe we're here. Dude, I cannot believe it. This is the penultimate episode of season it. two. Yo. I love words like penultimate. It proves that you know some words. Nice job. Yeah. That's my goal. It is. It really is. Well, speaking of words, uh, many uh -huh. of them were written for this episode. In fact, today we're going to do the producer's cut, which gives us 29 minutes and 56 seconds worth of words, Mark. That's a lot of minutes and a lot of seconds. But you know what? Nothing's too good for you, our loyal uh, Live no. from Pawnee podcast viewers. So we're going to tackle it. I totally agree. And and whenever we get thrown a producer's cut, we do our best to include those kind of uh, those bits of information in the show and pass that savings on to you. Yeah. So you, the viewers at home, get this at a reduced cost. Yeah. Like free, basically. Well, less than free. Actually, we pay them. I don't like this now. Oh, my God. This is terrible economically. <laughs> yeah, this is what are we horrible, doing here? It's a horrible business model. Yeah. No, if we, we should, we're, this will not be our retirement plan except to draw from it. Well, it, look, I look at it this way. We're losing money, but we're going to make it up in volume. <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, I know. Oh, works. I'm making it up in volume every day, Mark. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny because everything hurts. It does. I need it. I need a diet really bad. All right. Anyway, enough of me. Yeah. Well, Mark, uh, the, the master plan first aired on May 13th of 2010. Uh, this one was written by one Michael Schur. I know who that guy is. How about you? I do too. Yep, yeah. We do know him. Yeah. Speaking of fancy words. And uh, this was Mike's fifth of 18 episodes that he technically wrote. Um, although the, I suppose you could call the 2020 special um, that was out, you know, during COVID his really his 19th episode. Right. This episode was also directed by Dean Holland, who we've seen in the seat before. This is his third of 27 episodes he directed. If you remember Dean, he, he kind of got to start primarily, I think, as an editor, um, edited a, a bunch on The Office, edited some on Entourage. That must be where Michael got all of his Entourage references. Mm. And uh, this is his third of 27 he'll do here. His other season two episode was Sweetums, by the way. Oh, a good one. Yeah, a real good one. So... Well, Mark, should we get into our synopses for this episode? Oh, I, I can't wait, Sir Allen of the Roundtable. Uh, let's let's do this thing. Um, all right. Well, this you know this this extra long, extra special producer's cut. Uh, I was torn as to how much meat has to be on a story for me to break it out, and because we had the producer's cut, I felt like there was enough oomph there that I um. So I'll let the judges, you know. Tear me a new one if they have to, but I, I broke this down into four. Wow. Okay. Well, let, let's hear it. I'm anxious to know what you did here. As Leslie prepares to present her proposal for the Lot 48 Park, city manager Paul Iresco announces that A, Pawnee has a huge budget deficit, B, all proposals will be postponed indefinitely, and C, the governor has sent state auditors to solve the issue. Leslie fears severe cuts, but Ron, who hates government spending, is delighted. 
State Auditors Chris Traeger and Ben Wyatt arrive with Chris painting an optimistic picture of how they'll fix things and the more serious Ben handling the details. When Ben explains they need to slash the budget by 40 to 50 percent, Leslie lashes out at Ben, who reminds her that the poorly managed government is to blame and not him. Uh, later, at April's 21st birthday party, Leslie and Ann get extremely drunk. Uh, ben arrives and tries to smooth things over, but Leslie lashes out and tells him to get lost. What will happen? Will Pawnee's budget crisis get resolved? Will Leslie and Ann have massive hangovers? Will Leslie ever get along with Ben? Stay tuned to find out, dot, dot, dot. Very nice. So what I have as the B story, I just titled, Will They, Won't They? April is turning 21 and having her birthday party at the Snakehold Lounge. Andy shows clear interest in April, but worries about the eight-year age difference. At the party, Andy and April are getting along, but when he goes to the bar to get her drink, a drunken Ann flirts with him, which upsets April, who tries to make Andy jealous by flirting with John Ralphio. Andy sadly believes he misread April's signals, after all. What will happen? Will April make John Ralphio her new boyfriend? Will Andy <laughs> move on to someone else? Will Ann ever forgive herself for flirting with Andy? Only time will tell, dot, dot, dot. All right. I like it. All right. C story. I entitled Anne on the rebound. Anne ended things with Mark, who was confused because they never fought or argued and explains they didn't have the right chemistry slash passion. Later at April's party, Leslie and Anne get extremely drunk, which we knew the next morning Anne enlists Leslie's help in figuring out dun, 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 who she made out with the prior night. What will happen? Will Anne find out who she made out with? Will Anne ever let herself get that drunk again? Fear not. All will be revealed. Dot, dot, dot. All right. So that was your C story technically, right? Uh-huh. All we right. Got, we got, we got one more. All right. I this know. really is a producer's cut. Keep going. Yeah, it is. All right. The D story. Yeah. I entitled Tom the Romantic. Tom <laughs> is throwing. I, I know. Tom is throwing a 21st birthday party for April at the Snake Hole Lounge with ulterior motives of inviting and then hitting on every available hottie he knows. Later at the party, Tom tries to pick up women repeatedly to no avail. How will this play out? Will Tom ever connect with a woman? Will his harvesting the bottle cap game yield any fruit? Stay with us, true believers, and you will find out, dot, dot, dot. Very nice. So judges, I don't know. Some of those are don't have a ton of meat, but I thought, okay, I'm going to do it and I'll, I'll suffer the consequences. Have at it. I, I, I personally thought maybe there was two storylines with some tangential sub storylines, but I, I appreciate what you did there. The judges say it it will stand. Look, it's the end of season two, Mark. You worked really hard on this, and I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt. Oh. Isn't that nice of me? Yeah. That yeah. was nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, that was pretty good. Why don't we move into our AKAs then? All right. Well, I had I, I You had have what, one. 90 of those based on four storylines or what? <laughs> what you got? No, I I actually only chose one. Oh um, wow. Yeah, I know. I know. That was and tough it, in this episode. It, it, oh, let me tell you, there was a lot on the floor. I mean, there's so many good lines in this episode. There, there's one that stood out just because it was a little, a little silly, believe it or not. Um, yeah. And it's where Andy is very sad that John Ralphio is kind of, you know, digging on April. And so he's, he's telling the camera how sad he is that he yeah. maybe I misinterpreted April's signals and he pauses and he looks really sad. And then he looks at the camera and says, and I quote, that Ralph Macchio guy is a total douche. <laughs> so good. Stupid karate kid. Uh, so good. How about you? And, 
Uh, you know what, Mark? I, I think that that would have been on my list. But what I decided to do this week, if you remember mm-hmm. last week in the recap uh, at the end, as we're giving our score, I started in a little bit of a new thing where I kind of did my top 10 moments of the show. And yep. so in order to not just be duplicative and restate myself, I'm going to kind of hold on to my AKAs because a lot of them really show up there. This was such a big, meaty, special episode and so, so overall funny in general that, you know, there are 30 or 40 of them here. Honestly. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So yep. let's cover them as we go through the show and we'll just get into the meat of it. How's that sound? I like it. Let's do that. All right. Let's do that. All right. Well, Mark, let's get into the episode breakdown. You want to kick us off with the cold open? I certainly do. All right. Well, this is a supersized episode. So we have a correspondingly supersized cold open. This sure one is, um, I think this might be the longest cold open, which yeah. is understandable because it's, you know, da, 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 the producer's cut. It's yep. two minutes and seven seconds ish. Um, I'm going to say it is plot relevant. Of course, I had like 19 plots in my story. So I'm going to say one <laughs> of them is covered here. So it we have uh, we open in the city hall bullpen and April is opening presents from the gang for her 21st birthday. So like Leslie gets her an over the top, but thoughtful frame of her original application, parking pass, photo ID, first paycheck. Um, Ron gets her, uh, and I quote, Sig Sauer 22 caliber mosquito manufactured in Switzerland for their pussy police force. This <laughs> two-toned lightweight model is perfect for a skinny little thing like you, which oh my God. Leslie was not happy about, but you no. know, what are you going to do? I love it. And then there's a another scene that they kind of shoved into this cold open as well, which is where uh, Andy is at the shoe shine stand shining uh, his favorite customer, Kyle's uh, Thank shoes. Thank God Kyle's back. I've been missing Kyle. Oh, me too. I hope he has lots to say. But then April <laughs> walks up and then Andy goes, oh, thank God. Get lost, Kyle. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. So he scampers off. Um, and uh Andy tells April that he wrote her a song for her birthday, which seems to please her. And then April asks Andy if he's coming to her party and he assures her that he is. Mark, there's, I mean, just the cold open alone, there's so much more there. You know, oh, yeah. uh, like a couple of things real briefly so, and so we can move on. I, I just love generally that in this cold open, as as has been the wont of the writers to this point, I'm stealing <laughs> your, your your words there, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Leslie is mom and Ron is dad, right? And like usual and in real life, Leslie's got this thoughtful, beautiful gift and dad brings the gun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just thought it made me laugh. Um, and just Ron's whole thing about the the police force and, uh, oh, my God. Uh, anyway. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, following that, you know, we do get a full-blown opening credit sequence, you know, the longer version, which we mm-hmm. love. Yep. And something special happens this week. We're about to introduce two new I guess, technically guest stars for mm-hmm. the moment anyway. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to see Adam Scott and Rob Lowe join the cast. And they did something here as part of the credits that I just had to mention. So, you know, they do the the normal cast role and then they'll do the credit titles and then they'll typically show the additional, you know, actors in, in the episode. That's very normal for them. Right. Well, when they did that and they got to the end of the normal guest star ranks, then they threw up Adam Scott's name. With mm-hmm. no featuring or starring or adding. So leaving us to wonder what their intentions are there. And then they did something that's just hysterical on its own. Uh, introducing Rob Lowe. 
Oh, yeah. You know, Rob Lowe has been acting for five decades at the point this episode airs and they did an introducing. Uh, you just know they were just beside themselves chuckling about how funny they thought they were when they did this. I have a feeling that young kid's going to make it. He may. I, I've got my <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. He just needs one of them there after school specials. And then, you know, he'll 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 be nothing but tops after yep. that. Break to the moon. That's right. <laughs> Well, following the cold open and the opening sequence, we kick off with Anne and Leslie hanging out at Anne's house. And Leslie is sharing some excerpts from this uh, the city's master plan that's about to come out. That is right. Uh, they're at Anne's house. Leslie's reading the master plan to Anne, which is essentially a budget proposal. And, and she's planning on presenting it that morning at 10 a.m. And it's going to include, by the way, getting money for their long awaited park on municipal lot 48. And Leslie has spiced up the proposal in several several ways, including a few uh, Jack London quotes, of course. Anne is very impressed and excited and gives Leslie a big hug. Leslie tells her to come to her office to celebrate with champagne afterwards, but Anne resists, saying it would be awkward due to her <clears throat> recently ending things with Mark. Mm. Well, I like this opening sequence. Like you said, Mark, you know, it's there's a couple good talking heads here and uh you know, Anne just says uh, she ended things a few days ago and she's not going to talk about it. Nope. And I'm, I'm glad, quite frankly, I don't want to see the awkwardness. Yeah, I, I think we'll we'll get we'll get the inside scoop on that here in a little bit, a little bit yep. farther into the episode anyway. Yep. Well, following this, Tom is recruiting park staff. You know, he's in the bullpen and he's trying to, you know, I think he's passing out more VIP passes, kind of like he did a couple episodes back. And he's trying to get everybody to attend April's party tonight at the Snake Hole Lounge. <laughs> he is handing out invitations to everyone for April Ludgate's birthday bash, 9 p.m. at the world famous Snake Hole Lounge. And Tom admits in a talking head that he has ulterior motives here. He's actually going to invite and then hit on what? every available hottie he knows. No, Tom yeah. with ulterior. Uh, no, never. I know it's hard to believe, but yeah, it's actually happening. And then we see uh, a really funny scene where Leslie is behind April and kind of reaches over and hugs her and embarrasses her, you know, her little girl. Um, one last time, again, quoting Jack London, which Ron appreciates, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, um, it was like the fourth time, I think, by this point. Yeah, I know. Um, she does that before leaving uh, with Ron for the 10 a.m. Uh, budget meeting. Um, and then during a talking head, Ron describes to the camera how philosophically horrifying it is to him, a libertarian, and that they cheap out on the snacks. And I won't go into the whole talking head, but it ends with something that just was so so near and dear to my heart where he's talking about the snacks and he says, uh, Hydrax cookies. Did you know that there was an off-brand Hydrox? I did not. Pause for a second. Yeah. They're not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll take them. A cookie's a cookie. Oh, uh, Mark, you know, we're, we're trying to find that note, that post-it note that we had all the t-shirt ideas written down on. And, and I'm pretty sure Hydrax cookies just got added to the list today. I don't I think, think we so. have a choice. Yeah, at this point. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Well, following this, we're in the conference room and city manager Paul's getting up in front of the group and kind of letting everybody know that effective immediately, you know, despite what they've been planning to do with their master plan, the plans are going to be on hold. That's right. Yeah. He, he's addressing maybe an audience of, I, I thought maybe about 20. I mean, it's kind yeah, of it's small all department but it's, heads, I think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We do see as, as the meeting has started, we do see Ron kind of standing to the side, eating Hydrax cookies. Cause you know, that that's, that's his won't. Um, 
and yeah, like you said, and as we said in the in the storyline description um, earlier, a Pawnee has a huge budget deficit. B proposals are postponed indefinitely, and C we got some state auditors coming to solve this issue. And as Paul's saying this, we see Ron actually grinning wider and wider as as Paul is saying this, clearly excited by all this, while Leslie's kind of shaken up. I I cannot. Here's my hope, Mark, right? Uh-huh. Just on the Hydrax versus Hydrox versus Oreo cookie savings, that alone will set the ship right. I, I've got my fingers crossed. The auditors walk in and everything's going to be fine. What do you think? We we can only hope, you know, I, I hope that they named the bill the Hydrax bill. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, we're after this, we're in Ron's office and, you know, Leslie is uh, basically kind of lost her cool at this point. It's become obvious that she and Ron are not going to agree on this specific topic. They're just too different. Yeah, Leslie is is mad. She's like she comes into his office and she's mad. She's kind of mad. And she takes her master plan and she blam, she slams it down on his desk as she's clearly mad. Um, so Ron's trying to calm her down and says, look, this is coming from the governor. They outrank everyone. There's no fight to be had here. And Leslie is, I think she is going to insist that she's going to fight him. As a matter of fact, you know what? Alan, let's have Constantine play this clip. This is this is really funny. Let's do that. Hey, Constantine, roll it. They're going to try to eliminate everything we do. We got to fight these guys. They've been sent by the governor. They outrank everyone. There's no fight to be had here. Yeah, you're right. I'm not going to fight them. Except that I am. Okay. <laughs> Leslie, what do we do when we get this angry? <laughs> we count backwards from a thousand by sevens and we think of warm brownies. Go do that in your office. Go do it in your office. And we'll wait for these guys to show up. And wait for you to show up. Oh, my God. We got some feisty Leslie there. I like yeah, it. She's she's uh, trying to calm down. But, man, she is. She's uh, feisty. She's a she's a whippersnapper. The thing I love most about this, Mark, is that clearly they've had this conversation before. Leslie has gotten so upset that the only solution is to count backward from a thousand by sevens. And think of warm brownies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- th- this was not an impromptu thought by Ron. This is no. a, this is a process. <laughs> yeah, they've worked this out before. Yep, I love it. Me too. Well, we find ourselves in the courtyard, and Tom is on the phone. I think he's talking to some young woman, and he's offering her a big old giant discount if she'll show up at the Snake Hole Lounge tonight. Mark, I think a whole dollar fifty. <laughs> Look. I, I, a dollar fifty is a dollar fifty. Yeah, well, you know, and then right after that, Andy walks in, and uh, I called this this thing they're going to talk about the scumbag rule, Mark. I think that's a good rule. Yeah. yeah. So Andy's big dilemma, um, Alan, is that he wants to know for no particular reason. You know, well, sure. Uh, what's for a the friend? Y- it's always for, for a friend. For a friend named Schmandy. <laughs> yeah. Um, What's the youngest a girl can be that if we go out, I'm not a total scumbag, ergo the scumbag rule. Yeah. And Tom tells him that the scumbag rule formula is half his age, which is 29 plus seven, which mathematically confounds Andy for several seconds until Tom gives him the answer uh, 21 and a half, which, you know, he got the same equation there. Um, for sure. Or the same answer. Um 
he worried that technically April, who just turned 21 and is not 21 and a half technically, uh, concerned that she's younger than that, he asked Tom if he can date someone younger than 21 and a half. And Tom says, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But Andy doesn't seem necessarily 100% convinced. Like he's still a little hesitant. The only thing to add to that, Mark, was I love the little talking head by Andy at the end. He says, you know, if Tom says it's okay, then, uh, well, that probably means it isn't. So, yeah. I think that's a good rule to follow. Well, and I like Andy, Chris Pratt has great facial expressions. And at the beginning, he's smiling and he says, Tom says it's okay. And then like, there's this pause while he has this awkward self-realization moment. And then he goes, that probably means it's not okay. (laughs) It's like, we see him pivot 180 right there. It could have been good. Yeah. Yeah. If it just weren't Tom. Well, I believe we're going to find ourselves at JJ's Diner following this. And Mark and Ann are having lunch. And, uh, you know, I think she's being nice enough to help kind of help Mark understand, you know, her reason for breaking things off. Yeah, Mark is confused. And I don't think either of them are in a bad place, which I'm I'm happy to see that they, they handled it like this and wrote the episode like this. Mark is confused as to why their relationship ended, though, because he... He thought everything was going great. Like, for example, yeah. they never argued or, or fought, you know, and Anne assures him that their relationship was honestly very nice. But a he may have thought that it was so amazing because he's never dated anyone that long before. And B, right. you need passion. You know, sometimes yeah. you're supposed to fight. Sometimes you're supposed to miss the other person, even if they're only gone for 20 minutes. Um, and like I said, it, it feels like Mark is a little disappointed and maybe a little sad in this uh, scene, but I I think both of them are accepting of this. It feels like they're on good terms. What do you think? I think it ends that way. I think, you know, obviously he's, he may not be letting on quite as much, but I think he was truly confused. I think he is a little hurt, but I also think he kind of gets it, you know, he isn't happy about it, but I think he does get it. Right. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Well, back in the bullpen, Ron enters and is excited to let everybody know that the city auditors are finally on their way. And then, Mark, the funniest damn thing happens when they are preceded by death. <laughs> we have we have a, 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 a and somewhat elderly couple, it looks like, come in. <sighs> and I, I think Leslie is so keyed up for this. And she's hoping, I think, that they're going to be you know, pleasant to work with and not, you know, cut everything to shreds. And then these two kind of scary ish, you know, older people show up and hello. Yeah. And she turns around and goes, ah, death, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> is not real nice. Um, no. <laughs> apparently they were just looking for uh yeah, the divorce court. Yeah. 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 Fourth which is up on the fourth floor with everything else that's bad and death like. Uh, we love the fourth floor so much. Yeah, we do. So as they're exiting, though. Uh, I, I think that that actually heralds death and his wife uh, actually herald uh, just before uh, Chris and Ben come in yeah. and we see our first uh, glimpse of them. As a matter of fact, I think death is the first one that Chris says hi to. I think you're right. On his way. In. So, you know, Chris Traeger, Alan, this guy, unbelievably optimistic and cheerful. And yet it's he seems genuine at the same time, like oddly enough. Um, he seems to make an in- immediate first impression to everybody that meets him. You know, I think Leslie's uh, uh, talking head regarding him was that Chris is the most positive state budget auditing consultant I've ever met. I made eye contact with him and it was like staring into the sun. <laughs> um, 
Ben, Ben Wyatt, on the other hand, he's not unpleasant and he's not impolite, but he's definitely more serious and reserved. And I think he seems like that, especially when standing next to the optimistic and cheerful Chris. Well, I think Chris could make any of us look that way. I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, this is where Chris and Ben basically are now going to address the entire Parks team and kind of give them the lay of the, the land. You know, f- first up, a good cop. I mean, I'm sorry, Chris Traeger is going to take the lead and uh, kind of spell it out for them. Yeah, Robo, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Cop uh, takes the lead um, and talks to the gang there in the bullpen there. And he basically paints an optimistic picture. Yeah, they're going to tinker with things, but it's it's going to be fine. You know, we're just going to fix the budget and everyone's going to be happy at the end. You know, we're going to get those kids back on the carousel or whatever analogy you use, I think. Um, at which, and, you know, and so he did such a good job, Alan, that after he's done telling them what, what they're going to do, he's everyone's smiling and happy. And then at that point, Chris leaves and hands things off to Ben. And at that point, Ben asks Leslie and Ron, hey, you know, you got a you got a moment. Can you meet with me for a few minutes? Dun, well, dun, I love dun. this whole next sequence because they they transition into the conference room and bad cop. I mean, um, Ben uh, is addressing Leslie and Ron with a little more specifics in the conference room. Yes. So they're like you said, they're they're alone now. The three of them, uh, Ben with uh, Leslie and Ron and uh Ben starts by asking Ron and Leslie, for example, well, where do you think that there's waste within your department? And we continue at this point to see the Ron Leslie conflict here as Ron answers, where do I start? And Leslie answers, there is none. So like we're, we're right seeing on this top as of a, each other. Right. Yeah. And we're yeah. seeing this as a theme. I think like, you know, there are differences, which we always knew were there, but they're especially present in this, uh, in this episode. So Ben, I think realizes he needs to level with them at this point and say, look, to keep this head, this town afloat, we probably have to cut the budget of every department by 40 to 50%. And this surprises them, especially in the wake of Chris's very uh, cheerful portrayal of how they're going to fix the budget. Yeah. And, ca- and it causes them both to react. Leslie by lashing out at Ben and calling him a jerk. And Ron by breaking down into uncontrolled giggles which I just thought was fantastic. Ben kind of sets it up because Leslie immediately asks, well, Chris just thought I, I thought we were just going to have to tinker with things. And he says, yeah, but that's because that sounds a whole lot better than we're going to have to gut it with a machete. Yeah, <laughs> it, it sure does. Ron breaks into his little giggle sequence and he's also stabbing with this fake machete, this imaginary machete. And it's terrific. <laughs> I just, uh, so good. Plus you just got to love Nick Offerman's laugh, like his uh, true laugh, which he, we really yes. don't hear too much to date. And it's no, just, you're right. Here at the end of season two, this I don't know if it's the first time we've heard it, but it's definitely one of the first for sure. I mean, for such a macho male, yes. macho masculine, yeah. macho man, he just has the silliest little clown laugh I've, I've ever Love heard. Love it. Um, yeah. So the, the end of this scene then, um, Leslie's clearly kind of pissed at Ben about this and says, look, I, I, how can you be so blasé about this? And Ben responds, um, not impolitely but firmly he says because i didn't cause these problems ms nope your government did you know so he's not he's not being impolite but i don't think he's also taking any of leslie's crap so that's it's kind of interesting there yeah he's gonna go look at what he needs to get it from the spreadsheets yeah and and as 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 he leaves as ben leaves uh, ron as we mentioned is borderline giddy at this point and he muses aloud 
what's a not gay way to ask him to go camping with me? <laughs> I love it. I do too. Yeah, he, he, he is clearly uh, Ron's type of uh, state auditor for sure. Yes, absolutely. Mark, the only thing we didn't mention there was there was this great decision, I think, by uh, the director, uh, Dean Holland, to throw the camera over for a very brief moment to the conference room wall. And we see the art from the season two episode, The Camel. It's the oh, group's art project. Yes, you're right. Good call. And I love that, that that's, you know, this helps you kind of understand where Leslie is going to be coming from and her reaction here, right? Right. She has, you know, again, playing the the nurturing kind of motherish type role for the team. You know, she, everything that she's going to do in this episode and the way she reacts to Ben and, you know, mostly Ben, but Ben and Chris together is about protecting the team. Right. Well, moving on from there, we find ourselves over at the Snake Hole Lounge and John Ralphio and Tom are greeting each other when uh, John Ralphio notices April. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first of many, many scenes in a row that all take place at the Snake Hole Lounge. And I yes. think here um, the, the the party is not in full swing yet. I think people are just arriving and they're making preparations and that sort of thing. And yeah, John Ralphio arrives, greets Tom, sees April, says, hey, boo, you know, kind of dances up on her and she tells him to get the hell away from her. Um, and then it's an interesting scene where Donna walks up and John oh. Ralphio sobers immediately. Immediately. Like Donna, John Ralphio. Um, and she walks up to April and offers. she has two shots. She's carrying two shots and offers April one for her birthday. And April says, you know, now that it's legal, I've kind of lost interest. And Donna's like, whatever, shrugs and does them both herself, which I thought was really funny. That was great. Um, the only other thing I, I'd mention about this just real quick is when I first saw this, I remember this distinctly. I don't think I realized what the hesitation between Donna and John Ralphio was. I think maybe when I very first saw it, I thought maybe there was like, like, did they did they do it off scene or something? And like, you know, they're embarrassed to see each other. But now I realize it's that Donna freaking hates that guy. I think oh, that's she hates the, that guy that's and the, told him that's well, the source of this. Told Tom when John Raphael right. was sitting right next to him as if he weren't yeah, there. I know. I hate that. Guy. I know. It's so good. <laughs> um, the other part of this um, kind of combined scene is we see Leslie and Anne are in a circular booth uh, together, sitting together. And then they're kind of talking about the day and the week. And Leslie tells yeah. Anne the new park is on hold because of all this crap. And Anne suggests Leslie maybe could come up with her own budget plan and control things herself. Um, and it, after Anne tells Leslie that earlier that day, she was talking with Mark again, they both kind of commiserate on how crappy their lives have been lately and decide to get super drunk. I love it. Well, Tom is now reaping the rewards of his efforts to recruit local hotties by, but he doesn't seem to be making a lot of progress. <laughs> Not really. We do see him. Um, he's in he's in pimpin' Tom mode here. Oh, uh, he's kind of sitting in a booth with a num with a number of young women's, um, including recent Pawnee beauty pageant winner That's right. Trish. Yeah. Um. We know from beauty pageant, ergo. Um, and uh, Tom is, like I said, he's playing his traditional role of like pimping Tom. He's kind of flashy and funny, but not really real, you know? And the women are all laughing at him. But Trish kind of does a double take when Tom asks if she is actually really into him. She's like, what? What? <laughs> what? I can't um, hear you in here. It's too loud. <laughs> 
And at, at Leslie and Ann's booth, you can tell they are now getting increasingly <clears throat> drunk. And yes. they are apparently playing some sort of a coin flip into the glass game. And Leslie does a coin flip that does indeed go into the glass. And this causes Ann to chug her beer. And, oh, they're so drunk and they're happy. And I'm so glad that we've been drinking and now we're drunk. And they tell each other how awesome the other is and how much they love each other, but they do need more beer. And so Anne gets up to go to the bar for that for to get the beers. <laughs> I love the, the first line of the sequence and the last line are the two best lines. Uh, we start off with chug that bitch. And then we end with <laughs> drunk Leslie, best friends of ever. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic well andy arrives at the snake hole lounge and he immediately does his best to start catching up with april he he tells april that she looks beautiful asks her to give him a twirl and she's embarrassed don't look at me and then he looks at the ceiling and she's like no look at me i'm just kidding um <laughs> so andy offers to get her a drink because you know she is 21 now and she is april asks for whiskey April asks for a whiskey neat and Andy says, wow, you're not messing around. And April looks right into Andy's eyes and says, no, I'm not. And we see Andy's face change. He's kind of grinning yeah. at first and it yeah. changes to something maybe not afraid, but maybe a little bit intimidated. Like, Oh yeah, she's not yeah. messing around, you know? Yeah. Now April's here for real. Well, Andy heads over to the bar to get that drink, and he happens to run into an old girlfriend. Anne is getting beers for her and Leslie, and Andy walks up to get April's drink, and da -da -da, and Anne starts kind of drunkenly hanging on Andy and asking him if she was a good girlfriend. And, you know, Andy assures her she was, and while she acts somewhat I, I would say somewhat flirty. You know, she's putting her hand on Andy's shoulder and, and taking off her sweater, and, which, you know, she's just hot, whatever. And <laughs> all of which is witnessed by April, who is not <sighs> happy about it at no. all. And so Mark, she we just we just identified she is not messing around. Oh, my gosh, she is not messing around. And so much is she not messing around that she grabs a crazy, crazy dancing John Ralphio and just pulls him close to her all the while looking directly at Andy, <laughs> trying to make Andy jealous, you know, and this, this scene ends with a, with a very funny talking head uh, with Anne telling the camera something that I think we've kind of alluded to in the past, Alan, you know, he, yep. she starts out by saying, Andy, you know, I love, love Andy. Andy was totally helpless baby when they met that she dated him for three years. And now he's an adult with a job and quote, some other girl is going to reap the rewards of my hard work. That's bull beep. Yep. And you're right, Mark. I mean, we, we knew that this was what she was likely thinking, but you know, drunk Anne has allowed herself to realize that that's the way she feels about this. And yep. it's not hard to understand at all, but again, He's, she's not helping Andy's cause here. That's for sure. No, she's not. You know, one of the things I picked up in the producer's cut commentary, Mark, was I love that they said, you know, we've talked a lot about their jump cuts. Well, and apparently what they did here was this was all one big scene for Rashida, the way it was written, but they edited it 
as if it were jump cuts. So what it does instead is it gives this sensation that, you know, she's basically sitting here talking to the camera crew for like an hour. But, you know, it's really only a few seconds. I, I just thought it was terrific. It's a it's a good piece of filmmaking that you don't usually find in a, you know, half hour television show. Huh. That, yeah, that's really clever. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. I like huh. that. Well, you know, this whole all this while Tom has still been working the room and he's finally met this nice young woman who seems to kind of have an interest in him, too. But he deploys a pretty interesting mnemonic device to see if he can continue fishing and find her a little later. Yeah. Not only is it a mnemonic device, it's a bottle cap. Don't hurt yourself there, son. It's it. I have a net kink. That's what it did. Um, so, yeah, he's talking to this woman and he's getting along with her. And, and suddenly he gives her a bottle cap and he, he tells her uh, he, he wants her to keep that always to remember the first time they met. And at, at first glance, like if you pause the scene there, you go, well, that's that's kind of sweet, kind of yeah. add a character for Tom the pimp. But it's kind of sweet. And yeah. then it, it, it flashes to a really short Tom talking head where he's like classic game. Plant the seed harvest like a half hour later. Like, oh, God. All right. Uh, Tom, Tom, Tom. He'll never learn. Nope, never. Well, Andy finally returns with April's drink, and it appears at first, at least, that perhaps he might have been gone just a little too long. <laughs> he comes back to April, who is sitting on a couch alone at the moment that he comes back. He hands over her drink, and then we see John Ralphio kind of bleep, jump over the back of the couch and <laughs> snuggle up to April. It's kind we of call surprising. that the slither, Mark. Is that what that is? Oh, <laughs> now we slither. know. Yeah. Oh, Tom would be so proud. Yeah. Maybe John Ralphio should pose for him. Yeah, there you go. Um, so John Ralphio slither slither snuggles up to April after jumping over the couch. And Andy's kind of surprised at this. And he says, like, are you, oh, are you guys uh, 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 hanging out together? And April kind of says, yeah, maybe. You know, he asked me out so many times. I guess he wore me down. <laughs> kind of a little bit mad, maybe. Um, a little passive aggressive. <clears throat> and John Ralphio rambles on for a little bit before leaving to get a couple of Remy Martins, which he is apparently in love with. Um <sighs> And a bewildered Andy kind of tells April, you can have my Remy Martin for her for your birthday. And then he walks away um, and it ends with a kind of a sad uh, talking head by Andy where he tells the camera, I thought she liked me. I guess I'm super bad at picking up signals. And he kind of pauses. So that Ralph Macho guy is a total douche, which is <laughs> my, my AKA. Your AKA, I love yeah, it. And, and he does, Chris Pratt does a great job of looking really disappointed and sad. Yeah. Here. Like how you feel for him. He, you do. And apparently the the Ralph Macchio take that this actual, the whole talking head was all, all they did for him was they put up the camera and said, hey, Pratt, say some stuff. This was all Pratt. So. See, this is why writers don't like him. Like, he's disturbingly good at the improv. He's really good at it. Yeah, he for, is. For a person who didn't come from that background, especially. No kidding. I know. Yeah. Makes me sick. But good for him. Well, you know, there's an apparent problem with this bottle cap mnemonic, Mark. You know, <laughs> I think we're we're going to see this little bit about how well that did or did not go for Tom. <laughs> we see him walking around and he's saying from girl to girl to girl, did I give you a bottle cap? Excuse me, did I give you a bottle cap? What? A little bit louder to the group. Did I give any of you guys a bottle cap? Are you sure? And he just kind of <sighs> shakes his head and walks into the camera and like, 
who the bleep did I give a bottle cap to? You know, now he's forgotten. Um, we see a bunch of little scenes just like right in a row. So like the next one, uh, the camera shows in and Leslie dancing. They're clearly drunk. And uh, I think Trish is with some guy. And then, you know, camera flex back to Tom at a table alone. He's clearly mad and frustrated. I called this the montage of misery. Mm. <laughs> As seen through Tom's eyes anyway. You know what? I think you're right. That's a yeah. great word for it. Yeah. Um, April is still sitting with John Ralphio on the stupid couch and yeah. he's, he's slither snuggling up to her still. And um, John Ralphio suggests they leave. And, and April's like, this is my birthday party, you know, and you can tell it's like, she's clearly miserable at this point, you know, yeah. um, we, we then have another scene kind of sandwiched on at the, at the end of this. Um, Andy is now sitting with Shauna Malway Tweep. Bum, bum, bum. And she's talking to her about Mouse Rat. And Shauna seems kind of interested in Andy. And Andy offers to buy her a drink and then asks Shauna her age. And <laughs> she tells him that she's 25. And Andy remembers Tom's, uh, what'd you call it? The, the scumbag rule? The, the scumbag the, rule, yeah. Divide by two and add seven, yeah. I, I think I called it age math, but I like yours better. Yeah. And so he, he tries Andy to do Andy math, the, new math, and new <laughs> Andy math. He tries to do the calculations in his head, uh, fails, yeah. sees, sees Mark close by, calls him over to help no. him with that math, yeah. introduces Mark, and then realizes they already know each other on account of sex. <laughs> Andy. <laughs> and, then, and then this ends, and poor Mark. Oh, you you got to kind of feel for him. That's so, why I call this the montage of misery. Nobody oh, in this sequence right. is having a good time, really. No, it all is a big bag of suck for everybody. Is Mark? Mark uh, says to Shauna, "Oh, so you're with Andy now?" And she kind of just shrugs and smiles, and he's like, "No, no, it makes sense, you know." And then Mark, <laughs> Mark's talking head, you see him with the drink, and he just says, "It's been a great week." Takes a swig it. of his drink and walks off. I love it. Mark, had I selected a one and only AKA for this week, it was going to be that line. It's been a great week. It's been a great week. It just says so much. It yeah. sounds positive, but you know, maybe mm. it is, maybe it is. Yeah. Read between the ice cubes there, buddy. Oh boy. Well, hey, Mark, do you know what's thirsty? Oh, uh, apparently Ben is. <laughs> Speaking of great lines. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what's weird when I'm thirsty? Yeah. Yeah. That uh, drunk Leslie and drunk Ann are some of the best versions. So funny. Yeah. yeah. They really are. So they're, they're sitting at their booth together and Leslie and Ann are really drunk. And Leslie sees Ben arrive. So, uh oh. And, 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 tells her to be professional and Ben walks over and is trying to smooth things over. But actually, you know what? It, can we have Constantine play this? This was a really, really funny clip. Let's do that, Mark. All right. Ben the Jerk is here. Who are? That one. The one coming over here. Get ready. Okay, listen, be professional. Hi. Hello, Ben. <laughs> um, look, uh, I kind of feel like we got off on the wrong foot, so I just wanted to stop by. And yeah, we'll save your breath, okay? Just get out of here, because this is a party with my friends. And you're trying to fire all my friends. I, Plus, I just talked to everybody in this bar, and nobody wants you here. That must have taken a while. Yeah, it did. You're a cold, callous person, and you want to kill people with machetes. <laughs> and Anne is right. I shouldn't make my own plan so that you can't hurt us, and that's what I'm going to do. 
Um, okay, then I'll, I'll, I'll just see you tomorrow. Okay. Sorry to bother you. Get out of here. Leslie, that was so professional. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Um, uh, <laughs> wow. And so proud of her. She really is. That was so professional. <laughs> it's a good thing <laughs> she didn't lose her cool. Uh, well, it's the following morning, you know, and Anne and Leslie are, I think they're feeling some shockwaves from last night's fun. Yeah. Yeah. We call it hangover. Yeah. Um, Anne is waiting for Leslie in her office uh, at, at City Hall, and they are both hungover, like you said. Anne tells Leslie that she thinks she made out with someone last night, but she cannot remember who. Oh, and boy. she needs Leslie's help to figure it out. And Leslie assures her that she'll keep her ear to the ground when Ron bellows, Nope, my office now! And uh, this causes both Anne and Leslie to wince in pain on account of, you know, hangover. Mark, there's a brief moment there before Ron uh, summons Leslie as such um, when, you know, they're just both Anne and Leslie are trying to figure out who Anne might have been kissing. And and Jerry comes in and he's got this really weird, crazy oh, look on his face. And he's <laughs> like, uh, geez, Anne, you know, last night was kind of crazy. Oh, God. <laughs> and no. Everyone. Not only Ann and Leslie, but us as the viewers, Mark, we're very, very uncomfortable at what might be about to happen here mm -hmm. when finally he says, you know, I, I mean, I left at 1115 and you were so raging pretty hard. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I think she dodged a bullet there. What do you think? I think you're right. I think that would have been a, a bridge too far, a gurgage too far. It really would have. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Ron's office, you know, Ron apparently overheard Leslie being professional last night and he's not very happy about it. He's he's not. I mean, you knew that he wasn't happy from the get go because he's like, nope, in my, you know, he's screaming yeah. for. Yeah. Interesting. Quick, quick side note. He starts that scene by handing her a cup of coffee, which despite how angry he was, was kind of interesting. Like he's still kind of. I mean, I don't want to say nurturing exactly, but he still is clearly fond of her. In Ron's way. Yeah, in, in Ron's way. Like yeah. He should have just handed her a stack of bacon or something. And so after he hands her the coffee, he confronts her, like you said, about her second loud conversation with Ben, the state auditor who holds your very fate in his hands like a tiny bird. And Leslie insists that he, Ben is cold and unfeeling and quite frankly deserved it. And Ron puts it very simply, I want this government cut to the bone, but I can't have you getting yourself fired because then I'll have to do stuff. Go apologize. You know, and so Leslie finally agrees. She, she grudgingly agrees to apologize to Ben, although I don't really think she wants to. I don't think she wants to. And I think Ron is looking slightly bigger picture than he wants to let on here, you know. Yes, he'd have to work, but I think he'd really miss Leslie as well. Oh, you're never going to convince me otherwise. I think you're exactly right. Well, in Chris and Ben's temporary office, Chris welcomes Leslie in for a quick conversation. And he has one of the best talking heads of all time, Mark. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, uh, you know, the first thing he does is he asks Leslie if she would like a vitamin from his relatively large uh, collection that she had, that he has there. And, and she initially says no, but he does mention, you know, that they are good for hangovers and she's like, yeah, okay. Um, And then, like you (laughs) said, there's, there's a great talking head from Chris. And I think this has been the source of uh, internet memes and so on where definitely he he quite frankly, he quite frankly says, uh, I, I take care of my body. Above all else, diet, exercise, supplements, and positive thinking. Scientists believe that the first human being who will live 150 years has already been born. I believe I am that human being. (laughs) Well, all right. Gotta love it. Hey, looking at him and knowing about Chris Traeger, uh, I got to agree. If, if it's if it's anybody, it's Chris Traeger. It, absolutely. And, and, and almost as if to capitalize on that point, Leslie tells Chris that she's actually there to, to, to talk to Ben. And Chris says, oh, OK, well, I'm going to put on headphones. I'm going to listen to ocean noises and I'm going to start doing chin-ups in the doorway. And Rob Lowe is actually <laughs> doing freaking chin-ups, which yeah. kind of makes me hate him. Yeah, because he can. Because he can. Yeah. Um, so Leslie turns around to address Ben, who's sitting at a desk doing paperwork, and she apologizes dot, dot, dot mm-hmm. at first. But yeah. when Ben reminds her once more that he didn't create this situation, her city council and mayor did, she lashes out at him again, saying she doesn't appreciate his callous attitude and that he's an ass. And then you see Ben kind of consider for a second and he looks out into the distance for a second and then he finally asks leslie do you want to go get a beer <laughs> and, and i think this kind of like surprises her she's hesitant but ben seems confident yeah we should go get a beer come on we should go get a beer and yeah. she finally agrees um and chris doesn't want to him uh, leslie to keep uh, ben for too long on account right. of, there's a choking hazard with what the <laughs> camera v- revealed i think it's an over a shoulder shot from yeah, from uh, uh, rob Lowe. is that he holds up a pill that is probably the size of a grown man's thumb. Oh, two <laughs> like grown men's thumbs. There's no way. Like maybe Andre the Giant's thumb. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Holy cow. Um, I, love I, it. I thought I thought this was an interesting scene, though, because under other circumstances, if a guy that you didn't know really well, if you're a woman, it, it asks you to go get a beer with him, like you think, are you? Are you hitting on me? Yeah. But I totally didn't get that vibe from Ben here at all. I, no, he's I, not giving off that vibe at all. And I, I think you'd see this kind of mindset shift for him where he realizes that unless he takes a different approach with Leslie, it's going to turn into a fight every time because she just can't get away from this idea that he's the hatchet man and, you know, he's going to hatch her people. Right. You're exactly right. Well said. Well, Ann's now visiting with Andy at the shoeshine booth and Andy's enjoying, you know, for once in his life with Ann, having the tables turned. (laughs) For once. Once. It's Ann who's blacked out drunk and not him. And (laughs) this this is pretty quick, but, you know, he's he's enjoying this way too much. And and, clearly Ann is there wondering if maybe Andy is the one that she made out with. I mean, I think that she didn't say that, but I think it's pretty clear that's what she's wondering. And, And I think Andy's intention is to let her dangle for a while. Uh, but then he lets it slip accidentally that they didn't make out. And Andy's like, God, beep. <laughs> he curses <laughs> and Anne kind of smiles and says, thank you and leaves. So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty funny. That was very good. So for a quick moment, we're going to bounce over to the snake hole lounge. And Tom's apparently there settling up his bill from the night before when things didn't go quite as well for him as he would have liked. Oh, holy cow. You're not kidding. Yeah. Tom walks up to the bar 
to settle his tab with uh, Lucy, the bartender who's uh, currently working. And, you know, Lucy looks at the contents of the bar tab and she is amazed. Um, 47 drinks, including (laughs) 10 Cosmos, eight Smirnoff Ices, and everything else starts with the word pomegranate. And she asks him, you know, in a very loving, caring way, was it your bachelorette party? So good. (laughs) Um, It's hard not to like Lucy right out of the gate here. Oh, are you kidding me? Absolutely. So, yeah, as you can tell, Lucy kind of good naturedly busts Tom's chops a little bit. And Tom kind of connects with her simply by being funny. Keep in mind, he's normal human funny and not pimping Tom funny, which I think makes a big, big difference. Well, I think he's exhausted from the night before. And so he just doesn't have it to like even bring. And that's actually going to work to his benefit here. You know what? That's that's a great observation. I completely like that. I agree with that. Um, So he asks her out on a date and she says yes and gives him her phone number. And then Tom gives the camera not only a huge example of OMG, the open mouth grin, maybe one of the top five examples to date. I think that little half second clip of his OMG may be one that goes in future credits, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right, Mark. I I think if we did a little screen freeze and did some side-by-side action, I think you'd be exactly right. Yep. Yep. That's a classic. Well, Shauna is now at City Hall and um, she seems to be catching up with Andy, who who for some reason is just sitting on a bench um, right in front of our favorite, one of our favorite murals, the Turnbill mural. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Andy's talking to the tweep uh, in the hallway by, uh, as you said, the gazebo... um, mural uh, that we saw in 94 meetings um, two episodes ago. And Shauna tells Andy that she had a great time last night and asks if Andy's uh, free for the weekend. And Alan, I got to tell you, I was, uh, I was stunned at Andy's maturity and sincerity here. As a, as a matter of fact, let's, you know what, let's have Constantine play this clip too. This was, this was really something. Yeah. I think this is a good turning point moment for Andy. So let's do that. Absolutely. Oh, Shauna, look, I think you are a super cute person and your newspaper articles are so cool and they're, they're probably very accurate, but I don't think that we should go out romantically. Why not? Well, honestly, because there's already a girl that I like and we kind of have a long backstory of history and I like her. Okay, well, good luck. I can't even land the shoeshine guy. <laughs> poor Shauna. Yeah, poor, poor Shauna. That, that's such a great talking head for her. And I, and I think that this whole thing with Shauna, Mulway Tweep, was something that they specifically added back in for the producer's cut, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I believe you're right. I was absolutely floored and rooting, like cheering as the audience member, seeing Andy be that mature and sincere and honest. Like that's that's and and, and quite frankly, uh, introspective, you know, it is for Andy. It's really out there. And uh, my only regret with this, Mark, was that, you know, uh, April wasn't didn't happen to be within earshot of this, too, to hear it and uh, know that that's how Andy really feels. I mean, I it know. will happen, but it didn't happen yet. I know it's not fair, is it? Ugh. Nope, it is not. Well, you know, Leslie and Ben are finally sitting down to have that 1030 a.m. beer. And, and I think it might be just what the doctor ordered, or at least it's going to help Leslie calm down a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure which bar they're at. I don't know if we saw the name of the bar. So they're, they're at some we miscellaneous bar. Um, 
and they're drinking bottles of beer. And um, Leslie apologizes to Ben again for yelling at him all three times. And I think, yeah, they start getting along. You know, Leslie learns that Ben is the somewhat famous Benji Wyatt, the 18-year-old mayor of Partridge, Minnesota, who ran it into the ground in two months and then got impeached. Um, but how smart is Partridge, Minnesota, if they hired an 18-year-old? I mean, let's be real. Um, <laughs> Leslie tells Ben she clearly remembers him as 18-year-old mayor. Um, and at the time, she was really jealous of him, which, I mean, kind of makes sense because we know that she's always had political aspirations from the very beginning, right? However, Ben tells Leslie, don't, don't be jealous of me. It kind of ruined my life. You know, I'm now balancing budgets to show people that I'm responsible. So one day I can run for office again and not be laughed at. And he also reminds Leslie that if she ever runs for office, she's going to have to make harsh decisions like this, which I thought was kind of kind of a neat little uh, vision that he had. Like he, he, he got it right away. Um, and it seems like at the end of the scene, you know, Leslie and Ben have a mutual respect and understanding and are even arguably kind of getting along a little bit. Yeah, I love the the transition that happens during the sequence. I love Ben's kind of insightfulness, not only to pull her out of City Hall to have a, a personal moment with her, like we've already talked about. But right here, he says, I mean, you're going to run for office someday, right? I mean, he he kind of he kind of already understands and knows Leslie probably. And I think she's kind of shocked. Like she either for that moment and she's probably said all of her life that she's going to run for office. But I think it's maybe the first time someone said it to her. I, I completely agree with that. And I also like this scene a lot because I think sometimes I know I'm guilty of this, especially if I'm not paying close attention to a show, I can just often very say, okay, they're the good guy. They're the bad guy. Here's the good, here's the white hat. There's the black hat. And it would be easy to think, okay, boob, you know, Ben's going to come in here and slash everything to ribbons. But I like this because I think it makes Ben a very uh, three-dimensional character. He's very nuanced here. You know, it's, it's very clear that he's not definitely not all bad and he's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a, at least gives you hope that they're going to be able to get along well enough to figure out a solution to this problem at hand. Right. Yeah. yeah and I also love the, you know, the the kind of playful ribbing kind of ends here with uh, <laughs> Ben goes to pay and Leslie goes, oh, please, Mr. Mayor, let me. And then she goes, whoop, there it is, which was apparently his uh, the song he played at his inauguration. Oh, that's stellar. I love as that. As an 18-year-old mayor, which of was course. Just very funny. Yeah. yeah. Terrific. Well, Ron is now entering the bullpen to drop off some papers for April, and she is still pretty much reeling from the situation with Andy the night before. So this whole scene is fantastic, and I would have Constantine play this, but there's so much here that's visual. Yeah, so we're going to try to do as, as best we can. They're back at City Hall. Ron walks over to April's desk, puts a document on it, starts to walk away, and then hears April softly moaning, and Ron kind of looks back at her. Here's the soft moan again. And Ron says, everything okay? And April, you see her slowly considering, and then she softly says, no. So Ron kind of looks around, realizing he should, you know, say or do something. And I thought for a second they were going to turn this into like, oh, Ron doesn't know how to be comforting. Oh, oh, oh. Like I thought maybe they would right. turn this into kind of like a humorous moment. Yeah. Not really. Like he, he, he sighs. He kind of walks over to April. 
he very slowly reaches out a, a fist at first as if he were going to like gently punch her on the shoulder or something. And then he turns it into a hand and he very slightly, almost like he's patting a little bird, like slightly <laughs> awkwardly pats her shoulder, which again, I think they could have turned into like a haha moment. They didn't mean it like that. And April kind of looks at him and then just then Leslie comes in to get Ron and says, are you ready? And Ron is like, yeah. And at first, you know, Ron seems to be relieved to kind of be out of that, um, you know, awkward situation with April there. And he starts to walk away with Leslie and Ron stops before exiting the room and he turns around and he looks at April and April looks at him and the two kind of exchange this small smile. Like she knows that he's there for her, even though he, patted her like a little bird but i mean it is a very sweet you know this is this is a stellar stellar example of what both nick offerman and aubrey plaza can do yes. with no dialogue yeah you know yeah because you, you got to know that that there's no way they gave them all that stage direction in the script um you know dean holland who directed this episode might have had that character insight by this point in his involvement in this show and i can imagine he did but you know you know that you know, like you said, Nick and, and Aubrey here, um, you know, this is them at their best with these characters and, you know, no dialogue, all, all visualization. No question. They're, they just did such a great job. Yeah. I, I'd like to think that Ron is kind of like the, the dad that April wishes she had if she didn't have a dad. But she does, and he's a super nice guy. But he's also wired different than her, you know? Clearly, right. we saw that when we met the Ludgates at their house. Super right. duper pot. I mean, he's like Chris Traeger's dad. Um, yes. Ron is a little more wired like April, and I think they have a connection because of that. You know, very well said. I agree with all that. Yeah, it, it's, a very, it's a very touching scene, and it's nice to see that Ron and April have that sort of connection. Well, we're going to bounce over to the Chris and Ben office again, and we're sitting in the waiting room right outside. Um, you know, Anne is kind of hanging out with Leslie, and she, as she and Ron are, are waiting to meet with Chris and Ben. The, the three of them are sitting in this little uh, little foyer, uh, waiting to, to go into this meeting, like you I said. I think they pronounce that foyer. Foyer. I okay. Don't the foyer um davenport no that's couch never mind keep going you know something that's a handle hold is both a handle and a hold moving <laughs> on okay thank you sorry i just wanted to get my thing in there um yeah so yeah so the, the three of them are sitting in this foyer and uh, out of nowhere i think because she just has to you know mark everyone off the list and ask ron did we make <laughs> out last night which ron says good god woman no <laughs> <laughs> Which I just love. So good. <laughs> so Anne is really frustrated at this point, Alan, because she's talked with all the men's that she knows. And yeah, that's then it. all of a sudden, Anne sees Chris enter the foyer and Chris recognizes her and greets her. And, and we're treated to a little a flashback of <sighs> what had transpired the night before. In this flashback, we see um, at Snake Hole Lounge. We see Chris, uh, probably just when he arrived, I'm guessing, and he walks up to Ann right. and Tom, who are at the bar. <clears throat> and Ann immediately grabs Chris, abandoning Tom, LOL. And <laughs> the, the next thing we see is we see uh, Ann and Chris are on a couch together, and Ann is kind of spilling her guts to Chris, who is, in typical Chris Traeger fashion, he is listening with rapt attention to yes, like, everything that she's saying. And then 
Next we see, uh, sorry, my voice went so high. Next we see Anne singing karaoke, Highway <laughs> to the Danger Zone. And Chris is singing along good naturedly uh, into his beer bottle, just loving it. So and good. Anne is like drunk. And later, Chris and Anne, you see them walking towards the exit. And Chris tells Anne that he called her a cab. And Anne turns around, grabs Chris around the neck, and just starts kissing him very aggressively. And after a few seconds, Chris manages <laughs> to stop. Gently pulls away from Anne and says, okay, let's get you into the cab. Come on. She's like, boo. <laughs> End the flashback. So now we're uh, kind of back in the, the foyer. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Chris asks if he can call Anne. And she says, yes. Um, I think she she didn't give him her phone number. Well, he, she, she says, you have my number? And he says, no, you couldn't remember your phone number, but you gave me your phone <laughs> Uh, yep um not sure that's all that helpful but yeah yeah because who are you gonna call it's just gonna ring there um (laughs) it was still kind of funny um so yeah uh, and says yeah you can call me and then so chris and ron start walking into the meeting room and leslie's still kind of seated in the foyer looking at ann with a goofy smile it's now very clear who ann made out with and i think leslie's rather pleased um so Leslie then joins Chris and Ron and that leaves Anne alone in the foyer kind of mugging to the camera to end the scene. I love it. That's such a great scene. I wish we could play it, but it's just like you said, it's a little bit like the scene before where it's just so visual. visual just yeah. Really, yeah. But, you know, I, I'm still unclear after that montage that, you know, that, you know, remembrance sequence, if you will. Um, I think that was really for the audience's benefit. I'm not sure that Anne actually remembers all those details. No, I think you're right. Uh, maybe they'll come back to her one day, Mark. If she can just find that remember all that her aunt sent her to uh, Hogwarts, she'll, she'll be fine. <sighs> Those hardly ever work. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that Leslie has fully processed the seriousness of this situation, you know, she's kind of taken Ben's words to heart. She and Ron have finally come in with this presentation with a serious plan to help, you know, kind of get to these goals that were set up initially. Yeah. Ron and Leslie are now meeting with Ben and Chris and yeah, they're, they're saying, well, okay, what's what? So Leslie's prepared and she presents a budget plan that she came up with on her own and reducing their overall budget by 35%, which is a pretty impressive and it contains some very practical deep cuts in many of their services which i'm sure were painful but you know you got to make the harsh decisions and chris is looking at this and he's very very impressed but tells her that unfortunately things in pawnee are much worse than they anticipated and ron asks them well what what does that mean and ben tells them well effective tomorrow morning the entire government will be shut down until further notice. And then Alan, we see a scene that has generated several internet memes. Leslie is sitting in stunned silence while Ron is looking straight into the camera with almost creepy intensity and a slow, huge, silly, almost Dr. Seussian grin starts to spread over his face. So funny. Mark, the only thing you said there was wrong, that that was almost creepy and almost Susian. <laughs> they are both those things. <laughs> and therefore, they are a meme and appropriately so. Yeah, I no, think Leslie so Leslie ends that scene by saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I just started hearing really loud circus music in my head. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, apparently in the producer's cut, they revealed that they had a really hard time getting through that filming of that scene. Because even though Leslie's looking the camera and Ron's looking the camera and Leslie can't technically see Ron, she knows the face. You know, Amy Poehler knows the face that Nick Offerman's making. And they said it was pretty, pretty hard for her to get through it. So I I can can only imagine. So good. I'd love to be a fly on the wall, man. Well, Mark, you know, in the kicker, we close with this dolly shot of Andy singing this song he wrote for April. But you know what? I'd like to hold off on talking any more about that and play that at the end of the show today. I love that idea. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Well, let's do that. Well, then all that leaves for us, Mark, is to take a quick break. And then once we come back, we'll do our tropes and first and fun facts and give the thing a score. And then we'll send everybody home. All right. I love it, man. Let's do it. All right, we'll be right back, everybody. Are you in the mood for heaping plates of outstanding breakfast food? If not, then I wish you a good day as I have nothing else to discuss with you and I, quite frankly, don't understand you. However, if the answer is yes, then JJ's Diner is the place for you. Hello, this is Ron Swanson. A staple for the citizens of Pawnee since its opening in 1976, J.J.'s Diner is owned by the great J.J. Lipscomb and is located at 122 Sunderland between Tramp Stamp Tattoos and the Chlorotec Cadmium Refinery. Some have said that J.J.'s Diner is the meeting place for Pawnee's political elite. I don't know exactly what that means and I still somehow hope that is inaccurate. However, I do know that JJ's Diner is open 24 hours a day, and that breakfast food is the only food I need at any of those 24 hours. My employee Leslie enjoys the waffles and whipped cream. I prefer large helpings of bacon and eggs, like most self-respecting people. Be sure to visit JJ's Diner often, preferably when I am not there. Tell them Ron sent you and receive a free JJ's refrigerator magnet with your order of the Ron Special, a heaping portion of bacon and eggs accompanied by a delicious side order of eggs and bacon, smothered in sausage and sausage gravy. Mmm. Thank you. That is all. All right, everybody. Well, we're back. Well, Mark, I think, you know, just just for good measure, I'll mention that we had in the, the deleted scenes here on the DVD collection, there were about 14 clips this time, so a good number of them. They still only added up to about five minutes and 56 seconds, though, so a lot of really short things. Um, we've really talked about the one that was worth mentioning, and that was that thoughtful gift by Jerry that just you yeah. know, drove April to screaming. Um, <laughs> Funny stuff. If you have the DVDs, take a look at them. They're worth a watch. Um, as far as first funds, uh, as far as first fun facts and tropes, Mark, I did have a few things this week. How about you? I had a few. Um, for for first, I probably got the easy ones, and maybe these were the only ones. But obviously, it's the first appearance of Chris Traeger and Ben Wyatt. Yep. And then uh, thinking about it a little bit more, I realized it was also bartender Lucy. And I, I don't yep. know if we know her last name, at least I don't at this point. But so we'll call it bartender Lucy. Lucy Santo Domingo. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. OK. It's in the credits. It's the only reason I know it. We d- certainly didn't hear it. And I don't remember if we ever hear it. 
Maybe we do. We'll find out. We'll keep a watch out for it. Interesting. What did I miss? Any others? No. On the first, that's all I had as well. I had a good number of, of tropes. I did actually have a couple goose and even a couple fun facts. And then I did have a couple highlights just worth mentioning from the commentary that uh, didn't come up organically. Well, I'll tell you what, I didn't have any goofs or fun facts. So let me do my tropes and I'll pass it over Go to you, it. man. All right. Actually, I had quite a few. So first of all, uh, the PBK is back, Punching Bag Kyle, which which was very, Get very funny. Get out of here, Kyle. That's right. Um, we got a little bit, a little bit of Punching Bag Jerry, a somewhat minor when Leslie was describing how she'd hate to be in power and have to be the one to fire Jerry. Like it's just yeah. assumed that he'd be fired, you know. Um, he got so much last week, though, that it's OK that he got a little bit off this week. I agree. Um, we have uh, FDR, Food Driven Ron, you know, all his funny comments and scenes regarding love the it. Hydrax cookies, which I love. Yeah. Um, I had Leslie versus Ron, where they're, they're really showing the differences between their philosophical approaches to government. And we know it's always there, but they don't always capitalize on it, you know. Yep. Um, over the top, Leslie, uh, which I, I like the way that you put it over the something, Leslie, overextended yeah. or whatever, overprepared, yeah. not really. But it's you know, her spicy budget plan complete with Jack London quotes. It's, it's so over good. the something, over the moon, Leslie. I don't know. Yeah, over the rainbow. Over the rainbow. Um, I had BJR, Bizarre John Ralphio, because that <laughs> dude is nuts. Snake Hole Lounge made an appearance. Uh, yep. JJ's Diner makes an appearance. Yes. Um, I, I had a Tom the Pimp. You know, all throughout the episode, except when he's with Lucy, which, you know, thank God, um, yeah. when he was just human. Leslie and Ann being the BFFs, which is probably something in most episodes, but I just thought I'd mention it. And then the last one I have is the OMG, which is where I said he did such a good example when Lucy gives him uh, her phone number that it's, I think it's used in the later credits. So that's a great list. Um so what did I miss? And go for it with goofs and fun facts. Those are That's a good list, Mark. Like you said, I, I only had a couple additions. Uh, I'll see your OMG Tom and I'll double down with an OMG Leslie. Uh, so in the scene when they're sitting out in the waiting room waiting for Chris and Ben and, you know, Chris <laughs> has recognized uh, yeah. Anne and Anne starting to realize who she who she made out with. Uh, we get an OMG from Leslie. I think it's maybe the second one we've had in this uh, series so far. And uh, I thought it was worth noting. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I had uh, kind of not in the maybe in the realm of over the top. Leslie were amazingly thoughtful gifts from Leslie, which mm. we've seen at Valentine's Day and many other occasions. And we'll see again in many other occasions in the future. Great call. Yeah. 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 And then uh, I had <laughs> Donna own, owning John Ralphio. I just <laughs> love that exchange. It's so good. I mean, she just shuts him down just with a look. It's so good. Yep. And then uh, drunk Leslie and Ann. So those, those are my additions. Nice. Nice. Well done. Yeah. You know, on the goofs, and again, I think there's, uh, again, both of these, I, I, I plagiarized directly off the internets. Um, so Ben reportedly had, or Benji, excuse me, reportedly had, there it is at his inauguration party. The problem with that is that, you know, if he was elected in November and inaugurated in either January or uh, or February of the following year, that would have been about five months before that song actually came out. Oops. Based on the title of the newspaper article and its date. So, you know, not a big deal. They got close and it was funny. So that's all that counts in my mind. Yeah, but still interesting. But, you know, I fixed this. I rewrote the script and I just simply said that there was a mandatory recount because the election was so close with it being with an 18 year old that it took five Uh, months and he didn't actually have his party until June. The song came out in May. Problem solved. Look at you. Yeah. Nice job. They need to hire me as a writer. Oh, wait, this show's not on anymore, is it? Yeah, they should still hire you. No, they should still hire me. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll fix stuff that didn't yeah, make sense back then. Yep. Years you're ago, great. Nine years ago. Yeah. You know, from a fun fact perspective, uh, I, again, I mentioned the introducing Rob Lowe. That was just so funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Made me giggle. And, you know, the other fun fact there was that uh, we had the obviously the introduction of Rob Lowe. We had the mention of Ralph Macchio, um, who both of those guys really kind of got their careers launched into any kind of major stardom by being in the same film together in 1983, The Outsiders. Oh, wow. Talk about a throwback. Huh. You just blew my mind. I had, I had completely, completely forgotten about that. Yeah, well suck on done. that, pony boy. So. I know. I will suck on it. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's a good throwback. I like that. Yeah. I thought it was a fun reference. All right. Real quick on the commentary, Mark, I'm just going to mention four things, but I'll go through them really fast. Sure. So they mentioned uh, you know, that they had uh, the double shot by Jonna, the, the double shot by Donna. That was totally an improv when she downed both of those shots because April didn't want one of them. Oh. Uh, so I thought that was great. You know, yeah. being caught by Retta there. Uh, you know, uh, Mike, sure, credited his wife, J.J. Philbin, for the Chris at 150 years old thing. Apparently, she read an article and when she knew that they were going to introduce the Rob Lowe character, she said, hey, you should make that his hook. Nice. So he gave credit to her. That's brilliant. Um, they mentioned that because of what was said earlier by Andy about spread your wings and fly. And uh, I forget the other one that always had to be in a, a mouse rat song from here out. Because you are a champion? Or is yeah, this, you are a champion. Good call. Hmm. Uh, that they had to actually write that into the, the lyrics for the November song, which we'll oh. play here in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then we love JJ. So I thought I'd mention this one really quick. They, they admitted that there have been at least four different diners in L.A., to have played the part of JJ's. Um, oh. They all use the same establishing shot outside. So I think when you and I are always trying to go, is that JJ's? That might've been why we were struggling with that a little bit. So I see. Anyway. Interesting. Fun stuff from the commentary. Yeah. All right. Well, Mark, what do you think? You want to give a score? Gosh, where to start with this? This this was just such a stellar, stellar episode. I, I absolutely love this. And I realize that it's a little bit different because it's, you know, this is the producer's cut. So there's, there's more content here. And so yeah. it's probably... It's probably harder to compare apples to apples, to be quite honest, because, I mean, we're comparing this supersized episode to the other regular sized episodes. But you know what? It's our show. We're going to do it. Um, Mark, did you watch the non-producers cut version, though? Yeah, I did, too. And and I liked it. I definitely like this more, though. I mean, that so it will influence my score. But I I'm not sure I wouldn't have given it the same score just on the 22 minute cut, frankly. Well, I'm going to address that in mine. OK, go for it. Yep. All right. So a, a couple of um, just quick overarching thoughts. And I know I already said this earlier, but I, I have a hard time finding Tom continuously funny when he's in his pimp and Tom zone. Yeah, me for, too. For, just for, for, for a long time. I love that he's, he connected with Lucy and he was just like genuinely funny with her. Like, I think yeah. that we, we occasionally need more scenes like that with Tom to, to help him be more likable and relatable. I hope Tom you know learns I mean? a lesson here in reflecting yes. on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, I'm also, I, I think I said, I mentioned this as well. I'm really glad we were spared the actual moment of the Anne Mark breakup. You know, I, I don't mm. want to go into that sort of drama and stuff. I, and we just got to focus on the aftermath, which I think is how it should have been. Yep. Um, so just thinking about the characters real quick, you know, Leslie had a great balance between worried versus aggressive, angry, drunk, apologetic. She, she ran the gamut. She did a great job. Ron had several stellar scenes and moments, including some meme creating moments. Just so yes. freaking funny. Aubrey Plaza, as always, is brilliant. 
tremendous nuances. I just love watching April on screen because of her. Good job. Um, Andy, again, she, he ran the gamut too. Funny moments, mature, honest, genuine moments, sweet moments, the, the works. Um, also, uh, Leslie and Ann Drunk, classic. I love that <laughs> version of them so much. Um, I talked about Tom. Um, Mark, Jerry, and Donna, not in a whole lot of scenes, but I thought they did a good job in the ones that they were in, even even Mark. Um, you know, I, I we feel bad for Mark, but I don't think overly so. Um, you know, it is what it is. John and Donna and Jerry are very funny in the scenes they're in. Um, Chris and Ben, I thought they did a good job of introducing without spending a lot, a lot, a lot of time on them. I thought they did a great job of introducing characters who had eccentric quirks, but not they're also three dimensional. Like I thought yeah. that they're interesting, nuanced characters. I thought they did a great job with that. That's um, cool. they, they have me interested in them. Um, so here's my score. I have, I gave this a 4.5 base score, pretty high. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it a point for the introduction of Chris and Ben and doing such a good job with it and establishing those interesting nuanced characters. I'm going to give a half point for ending Anne's and Mark's relationship on a decent note, no, without falling back on a lot of pointless drama. I'm going to give half a point to Andy finally point blank admitting to us, the audience that he wants April to be his girlfriend. Like he, yep. he, he, I don't want to say he loves her, but I mean, he's being just like, here it is. Like there's no like read yeah. between the lines there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give another half point for great guest stars. You got John Ralphio, Shauna Mulway Tweep and first timer, Lucy, the bartender. I'm going to keep calling her that. Um, <laughs> half a point for April's jealousy and Andy's disappointment as they miscommunicate at the party. Just great job by those two. Um, I'm going to give half a point for Ron and April's no dialogue masterpiece. Just such a freaking good scene. They're, they're yeah. brilliant. Um, and I gotta, gotta give half a point for Ron's Dr. Susian grin at the end. <laughs> so creepy. So Susian. funny. Yeah. yeah. That creepy Susian, uh, Crucian. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So if you add all those up, um, it was like 12. I give, I give, <laughs> I give 8.5 little Sebastians to the original show. Okay. But, but I like the producer's cut so much. And there's so many awesome, funny moments, so many awesome plot moments. I, I thought that they expanded upon things that they did it that like added to it and didn't just make them longer. I thought it was so much better. I'm going to add an extra point A whole to point. the score. So for the, so for the originals, for the original show, 8.5 little Sebastians for the producer's cut, 9.5 little Sebastians. Wow. So there you go. Now, again, we are not exactly comparing apples to apples. This is a producer's cut supersize show versus the rest of these other regular shows, but I stand by it. What you got, buddy? No, great, great, great summarization of your score, Mark. I appreciated all the, especially this week. I always appreciate what the way you do your point breakdown. You know, I, I'm not as smart as you are, so I don't do it that way. Um, but I really connected to all the, the, the way you structured, the way you gave points this week. Um, I'm also glad you kind of gave two scores. I didn't do that, but I'm glad you did. What's interesting about the way we both scored, though, um, is that basically where you gave eight and a half on the main show, nine and a half on the producer's cut, I gave this 
I watched both, but didn't really consider them differently. And my score was a nine. So really I'm right there in the middle. But again, I I kind of was like, I do many weeks. I kind of waffle back and forth between that half point range. And this week it wasn't going down to 8.5. It was going up to 9.5, you know, again, and trying to think about what's still in front of us. And, you know, I I know what I've already watched next week's episodes. It's going to wrap up the season and, I don't know, just so many thoughts about season two in general. We'll have to determine if we're going to do a recap show for that. But boy, are they strong here at the end of the season, regardless of what you say about it. I mean, just everybody hit their stride. And I thought there were some really important things that happened here. But I wanted to call out to illustrate your point one step further. The producer's cut was 29 minutes and 56 seconds. The standard cut was 2205. So that's a difference of seven minutes and roughly 51 seconds. You can do a lot in seven minutes and 51 seconds. So not, oh, yeah. not crazy that your two scores are a little different, frankly. Well done. Well, well, well thank you. And it sounds like we we're pretty close. I think we were. We're definitely not of different minds here. I I could easily meet you at 9.5. No problems for that. And I think there isn't, you know, there's enough regrettably missing from the 22 minute cut. And we, we often regret that it's a 22 minute cut. I mean, just, just looking at the normally at the deleted scenes, forget a producer's cut. Um, You know, we, we've toyed with the idea of reassembling some of these shows and making our own producer's cuts. So um, I get it. And I'm just glad when they give us one to play with. So, you know, again, not shilling for the DVDs. We don't get a cut if you go buy them, although we should figure that out. We got to figure out how to get a cut. Um, Go buy them though. They're worth having for sure. Especially if you love the show as much as we do. Yeah. Yep. So Mark, last week I started uh, kind of with my score basis, giving the top 10 moments. I've already given my score, but I'm going to go on and give those top 10 moments really quick. And I'll be honest, I really struggled to only do 10. Um, Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. So I cheated. So watch this. Oh no. (laughs) Number one, what's a not gay way to ask him to go camping with me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Number two, uh, new math with Andy Dwyer. Just loved it. Got a couple. Like it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, number three, what exactly would you be cutting and how much of it? And can I watch you do it while eating pork cracklins? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, so many good Ron moments in this episode. Um, Ron says, Leslie, what do we do when we get angry? And Leslie immediately replies, we count backwards from a thousand by sevens and we think of warm brownies. Uh, mm-hmm. So good. Um, Dean Holland remembering or thinking to use the camel uh, art there on the wall as we go into this room for this divisive moment that's set up with the city auditors. Um, number six, you know, Andy's not great at picking up signals, but that Ralph Macchio guy is a douche. <laughs> number seven mark you know what's thirsty drunk ann and drunk leslie yeah. <laughs> number eight leslie talked to everybody in this bar and nobody wants ben here nope should have taken a while yep all of that that was apparently a, a harris whittles edition i found in the producer's cut uh commentary uh number nine chris will likely live to be 150 and his multivitamin is a choking hazard So you can see already here, I'm doing some comboing. Right. Number 10A, um, (laughs) Chris recognizes Anne and Anne finally realizes that he is the one that she kissed last night, uh, along with Leslie's OMG moment and the fact that Chris has been holding on to Anne's phone. I just, it was hard not to give that one uh, its own little forfer, I guess we'll call it. Sure. But you know, Mark, the last four spots were really reserved for 
the four permanent relations that kick off in this episode. And I'm going to credit my wife for reminding me of that because while I knew it subconsciously, it hadn't risen to my conscious uh, memory or thought process, but she's absolutely right. I mean, here, you know, we've got basically Andy and April finally on the right path. I think, you know, even though it didn't functionally happen here, Andy's made the admission. April's clearly crazy about him. And so I think we're on the right trajectory. Tom meets Lucy and meets Chris. And then of course, Leslie meets Ben. And, you know, those are four things that are going to shape the show for the rest of the run. And uh, it's terrific that we got all four in the same show. What, what a smart, smartly written show. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, there, there is, there's nothing really that I can say about this episode, at least, at least the producer's cut uh, that, that I can almost detract for. I mean, it, it's, it's getting scary, Alan, to the point where when shows get this good, you go, is this, is this going to be the one? Like, is this, you know, because, and, and you and I have had this discussion before, especially yeah. when starting the podcast, like we kind of want to say, cause you know, there are just some so funny shows coming up. So you want to save points cause you want to do them proud by giving them, you know, if they deserve a higher score, but it's like, oh my gosh, when you get shows this good, mm, is this going to be the one? And I, I shied away from it and went, no, but I'll tell you what, I'll give the producers cut 9.5. It's that good. I totally agree with you, Mark. I, I think it's so close to a 10. It, you know, it's hard to imagine what's going to get a 10 at this point. Um, but we'll find out. We'll stay tuned and we'll see. Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of that, Mark, next up is Freddy Spaghetti. That is the last episode of season two, episode wow. 24. Um, there's going to be a lot to talk about, you know, Mark, the addition of, of Chris and Ben, the Mark's ultimate departure. Yeah. Um, the shape of the series in terms of, you know, kind of maybe revisiting a little bit about, you know, we got this weird season one with six episodes. We get a full fledged episode, uh, or a full order of episodes in season two with 24. And then we're going to step backwards in season three with 16. And hmm. we know a little bit about why. So when we, when we kick off season three, I want to talk about that a little bit too. But, um, you know, we're, we've got a couple surprises coming up. We got a couple new interviews that are about to come out. So yep. I'm really looking forward to what happens over the next few weeks and, uh, and especially wrapping up season two. Oh man, I cannot believe we're here. It's it's going to be a lot of fun, you know, bringing season two to a close. We've had just a stellar, stellar run of episodes and, and I don't see that slowing down necessarily anytime soon. I don't either. All right, Mark. Well, as promised, we talked about going out on a, on a kind of a high note, so to speak. Uh, maybe a falsetto note might be a better way of saying it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, if you remember, Mark, in the button, we had that really cool dolly shot of, uh, of, of Andy singing his song that he wrote for April. Oh, yeah. Um, boy, did he wish that he would have remembered to have named it April. Yeah. <laughs> but for some reason, he named it November. November. Yeah. yeah. And so- Let's play that on our way out today, and then we will see everybody next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. November, you're so beautiful. November, you're so serene. Walk among the clouds and see that you and me were meant to be. November, your bangs are cute. November, your voice is a flute. November, let's pretend skies for us. Let's spread our wings and fly on a date. I want
go on a date with you November That song is about April <laughs> Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators Copyright 2020 All rights reserved Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompony.com for more details or to contact us.